0: This morning, I'm going to be talking on the importance of covenant relationship, and particularly covenant relationship in church life. And to do so, I shall primarily be examining the relationship between Jonathan and David. Uh, So that's King David, uh, but it was before David was king, and um, the previous king, Saul's son, Jonathan. And I think it's a fascinating example ...of what covenant relationship looks like. Um, A brief intro about me, for those of you who don't know me. As Kim said, I've been in this church uh, quite a long time. uh, 28 years. uh, A bit longer if you include the time before I was born. So 28 years and 9 months. (laughs) Um, And in that period, lots of people have come and gone, as as you'd expect... Um, some left for positive reasons, and others for not so positive reasons as i 'm sure you would anticipate in any church, but in the last five years or so, this church 's makeup has changed quite considerably. Um, there are many of you that I do not know, many of you that I would like to know i 'm sure all of you in fact um, and to be honest, um, you know, in the past five years or so, it's been quite difficult, the, the, the change in makeup of this church. You know, I've um, seen some very close friends go, and some even closer family. Um, and I don't know whether this would be similar for you, but when that happened, I found myself asking myself whether I should be making a move too. Um, Claire and I made the decision to, to stay in this church quite some time ago. Um, but I have to confess, it's taken me a long while to really feel committed to that decision. it has been a lot of stuff to work through for me. Um, and yeah, it's taken me a little while. But one of the turning points for me um, has been starting to invest in some new relationships and some new friendships. And so I'm going to talk to you a bit about some of the things that I've learned over the past few years and what that's meant for me, and why I think that's important for church life. Um, And when I was thinking and praying about what to speak on this morning, I really felt God prompt me in this direction. So that's where I'm headed, and hopefully I'll take you with me. (laughs) Um, I mean, it it also feels, given the stage the church is at with, with, with lots of new people, I think some of the tips I'm going to give you this morning will be helpful for building good foundations in this church. Not that the church is lacking good foundation, of course. So let's start with a definition. It's normally a good place to start. What is a covenant relationship? And what do I mean by a covenant relationship? Well, as I'm sure most of you are aware, a covenant is an agreement between two or more people that's usually formal to do or not to do something. Um, and one of the first examples of a covenant in the Bible is in Genesis nine and um, I'm sure you're all aware of the story Noah and the flood and um, after that there's only about eight, ten people left and quite a few animals so that that animals are outnumbering the people um, which seems quite strange but anyway that's how it was and um, God says to Noah I establish my covenant with you never again will all life be cut off by the waters of a flood never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth so here we see God's agreement not to do something. That's his covenant with him. I will not do this again. And he gives him the promise. There's a the beautiful rainbow. We all enjoy a good rainbow, I'm sure. Um, but that reminds us that God is keeping his covenant. Keeping his covenant not to destroy the earth in that way. Later in Genesis, we see another example of a covenant. And this instead is a covenant to do something. So this is in Genesis chapter 15 and we see God's agreement to give Abraham some land, the promised land. He does say it'll be about three or four generations later, but still he does make that promise. So I've given you a brief overview of what a covenant is and the sorts of covenants that God makes with his people. Um, But what do I mean when I add covenant to a relationship? What's a covenant relationship? Well, I think probably the closest um, example or best example I could find is a marriage. See, a marriage is, is built on a relationship. Jim's smiling at me. Um, but it's also a commitment to do various things and not to do various things. When you marry someone, um, you commit to loving them and to remaining faithful to them. Um, but I also have covenant relationships with other people. Thankfully, they're not built on the same agreement as my uh, marriage. Otherwise, that might get a bit confusing. <laughs> But um, one of the and one of the earliest examples I have of that is uh, my friendship with Toby. I don't know if he's here. Can I see him? Hello, Tobes. <laughs> All right. Yeah, cool. Um, <laughs> when he joined the church back in the 90s, was that was it in the 90s he joined the church? 99. Okay, still the 90s. That counts. Yeah, Justin. Yeah. Um, he agreed to disciple me, and I agreed to be discipled by him. Um, Now that relationship has changed and developed over the years But it was fundamentally built on an agreement And probably a mutual love of geeky things that we thought were cool Um, I'm sure you're wondering what sets apart a covenant relationship from other relationships And why I feel that it's important to preach to you about its, its importance in church life Well, I hope that will become clearer as we go on Typically, in Old Testament times, there were three sorts of covenant. You had a royal grant, which was an unconditional promise. And primarily you see that made by God to his people. Um, So, it's normally a grant of land or some other benefit to a loyal servant for faithful or exceptional service. The grant was normally perpetual and unconditional but the servants' heirs benefited from it only as they continued their father's loyalty and service. And um, the agreements that I read out to you in Genesis 9 and 15 are both examples of these royal grants. Another typical covenant in Old Testament times, and I'm probably not going to pronounce this correctly, was a suzerain Vassal. Has anyone heard of one of those before? No, it was new to me too. Um, and this is a conditional a covenant, And it's a covenant regulating the relationship between a great king and one of his subject kings. So the great king claimed absolute right of sovereignty, demanded total loyalty and service, and um, so the vassal must love his suzerain, and pledged protection of the subject's realm and dynasty, conditional on the vassal's faithfulness and loyalty to him. Um, and we find an example in, in this of this in Exodus chapters nineteen to twenty four. And this is where God makes a covenant with Israel as the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and as the people the Lord has redeemed from bondage to an earthly power. Now this was a conditional pledge, you see. God pledged to be Israel's God as her protector, as her guarantor of her blessed destiny. <laughs> But the condition was Israel's total consecration to the Lord as his people, who lived by his rule and his purposes in history. So there's two. We've got a conditional and an unconditional covenant. Um, And then my study Bible, helpfully, tells me of a third covenant. And that's called a parity. And this is defined as a covenant between equals, binding them to mutual friendship, or at least to mutual respect for each other's spheres and influences. And participants would call each other brothers. According, again, to my study Bible, um, and this is where most of my sermon is based from, you'll be pleased to know, um, examples of this sort of covenant include Genesis 21 verse 27, Genesis 26 verse and Genesis 31 verses 44 to 54, if you'd like to look them up. Now, as far as I can tell, these three just appear to be a commitment not to kill each other. Um, like a marriage, yes. Thank you, Phil. <coughs> Not—that's that one of the vows that we read out, but um, I don't think it's one that we think about at the time. But it becomes clear as we go on, doesn't it? Yeah. Maybe we should add that one in. Sorry, I digress. Um, um, and um, I think the relationship between Jonathan and David goes even further than this third type of covenant. Because it's not just a mutual respect that they have for each other. Um, they actually allow each other to influence each other's fears. There's that cross-contamination there. Um, and I think Jonathan and David start to establish a new type of covenant in the Old Testament. And that's quite impressive. Um, and it, you know, It's one thing to recognize and respect someone else's fear of influence and commit not to kill them. Um, but it's another to allow someone else's fear to start to influence yours. And I think this is perhaps one of the most difficult challenges for leaders um, to recognise other people's spheres of influence, have mutual respect for that, but to allow yourself to be influenced by that. And I think that's a real challenge. Something that I think Pete does very well. So thank you for that, Pete. So this is what... I think it starts to separate Jonathan and David's relationship as such a great example of covenant. They start to move beyond these three typical examples of um, covenant that we see in the Old Testament. Now, it may be that you've got an excellent covenant relationship. Maybe that you've got an excellent marriage. I hope you do. Or an, a number of excellent covenant relationships. Uh, but I hope this message will help, t- uh, help you to invest further in those. If you've got too many covenant relationships to keep track of, Um, you might want to start deleting some of your Facebook friends. Just a suggestion. Okay, so, if you'll turn with me, please, to 1 Samuel chapter 18, and we're looking at verses 1 to 5. If you haven't got it with you, I shall read it out anyway. After David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. From that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return to his father's house. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David, along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow and his belt. Now this takes place immediately after David has killed Goliath. There's no, um, nothing that happens in Scripture between those two things. David finishes the job, and we move straight to chapter 18. We're not sure how long David and Saul were talking, but it appears to be quite a long period of time. And he appears to have said something that impresses Jonathan. Now, perhaps he explained his actions in killing Goliath as an expression of his faith in the Lord. And perhaps it's this commonality that joins their spirits. You see, a few chapters earlier, 1 Samuel 14, Jonathan undertakes his own act of faith in the Lord. I'm sure you're very aware of the story um, of Jonathan and his armour bearer, one of my favourite stories in the Bible. If you're not aware, I should just give you a brief synopsis. Jonathan's father, the king Saul, was chilling underneath a pomegranate tree, as you do. Um, small aside, if you're on the eve of battle chilling under a pomegranate tree is not the place to be but anyway, Jonathan gets bored and says to his armour bearer mate, let's go over to the post of those uncircumcised fellows and perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf and what happens? Anyone? The Lord does act on their behalf and he delivers that um, post of the uncircumcised fellows to them. Following that the Israelites win a great battle over the Philistines and um, I, think, I think Jonathan saw something of David in himself, something of his expression of his faith in the Lord, and I think that started to knit their spirits together. Similarly, David can't have known for sure that God would act on his behalf when he stepped out against Goliath, but he steps out anyway. And God does act on his behalf. So what does it say after that in the, in the, in the chapter? And he loved him as himself. It appears to me that Jonathan here helps us to unlock part of the second most important covenant, which is loving others as yourself. And we see that in Mark 12, verse 31. Whether you feel you get on well with someone or not, it makes it so much simpler to love your neighbours if you start to recognise and admire the faith and the strengths in their lives. It's so easy to criticise someone you don't agree with, or someone that it would be easy to feel threatened by, as Jonathan could have so easily felt with David. But recognising the faith and strengths in others' lives starts to knit our spirits together. And I think that's good for God's people. Again, for those who don't know me very well, I work as an HR advisor, Human Resources, at the University of Kent. I'm sure that will mean some of you will start to dislike me a bit, but let's move past that. Um, I deal with a lot of things that are of a slightly negative nature, so that would be disciplinaries, grievances, restructures, redundancies, managing sickness absences, all those sorts of fun things. so, yes, of a slightly negative bent. Anyway, a couple of years back, um, a lady joined us as another HR advisor. And nothing, nothing at all seemed to knock her positive outlook on life. Nothing. And it really wound me up. Really. <laughs> I just didn't get it. Couldn't, couldn't get my head around it. And I found her really difficult to deal with. Um, looking back, I'm pretty sure I was just jealous of her because she managed to cope with so much more than I could... But anyway, the changing point for me in our relationship was when I started to recognise how good she was at her job and how good the way she looked at things helped her with her job. Um, And now I think she's absolutely great and we're really good friends. And um, often I will turn to her when I have a really difficult situation at work for her advice and her outlook. So I I really do think that recognising other people's strengths is good for us and it's good for the body of the church. Although we might infer from later verses about David and Jonathan's covenant, uh, what the covenant in verse 3 they make is regarding, it's not not wholly clear from here. But what is clear is the reason Jonathan decided to make it was because he loved David as he loved himself. So it, it appears to me that not only does the recognition of faith and strength in other people help you to love them but it also helps you to start building covenant relationships with them now Jonathan then ratifies their agreement with an act that symbolises giving himself to David, gives him his tunic gives him his belt, his sword and um, I'm not sure that we can build these sorts of covenant relationships without some kind of sacrificial giving be that time or money or possessions, or tunics, or swords, or belts. if you're going to do the latter of those, I suggest you do it in a slightly secluded place, otherwise (laughs) you get some quite funny looks. Um, Recently, after a a meeting that was held on a school night, um, a good friend of me asked me for some advice on a work-related matter. And they asked for my advice because of my involvement in working in HR. And um, what I wanted to do at that point was to go home, because I was tired. And I knew that helping them would mean a good 20 minutes, half an hour of my time. And I didn't want to do that. I wanted to go home. But I could see that the situation was really troubling them. And um, I know that this individual is called to great things, both in church and in his workplace. And so I decided to invest some of my time to help him with that situation. Um, And that, again, started to build something further between us. started to knit us together even more. Um, a week later he said that that had really helped him and um, that really encouraged me as well actually knowing that I had, that my advice and my experience had, had helped him in his in his work life and God's good like that when we start to sacrifice and give in that way it's also, it's also good for us and our well-being ok, so that's a brief examination of the first covenant between David and Jonathan let's now turn to 1 Samuel chapter 20 and we'll look at the second. So, just before this chapter, Saul has pursued David to Ramah. Not sure if that's correct, but hey. Which is where Samuel is staying and he pursues him there to try and kill him. Except that when he gets there, he can't kill him because the Spirit of God comes upon him and he starts prophesying until he walks to the place where David is at, which is Neoweth. He then strips off his clothes and prophesies in Samuel's presence. Now, when I read that, I thought, I quite wish that would happen to me. Every time I was about to do something stupid, I would just start prophesying instead. (laughs) Apart from the naked bit, yeah. Well, it might make me more noticeable, I'm not sure. Um... (laughs) (laughs) if every time I was about to do something stupid I started prophesying, I would be world renowned. Just ask my wife. Um, Anyway, sorry. I digress again. 1 Samuel 20 Then David fled from Naoth at Ramah and went to Jonathan and asked, What have I done? What is my crime? How have I wronged your father that he is trying to take my life? Never, Jonathan replied. You are not going to die. Look, My father doesn't do anything, great or small, without confiding in me. Why would he hide this from me? It's not so. But David took an oath and said, Your father knows very well that I have found favour in your eyes. And he said to himself, Jonathan must not know this or he will be grieved. Yet as surely as the Lord lives, and as you live, there is only a step between me and death. Jonathan said to David, Whatever you want me to do, I'll do for you. So after this we read that David asked Jonathan to use one of the oldest and most successful excuses there are. And it's to get David out of having a meal with Saul. So if we look at verses 6 and 7, it says, If your father misses me at all, tell him, David earnestly asked my permission to hurry to Bethlehem his hometown, because an annual sacrifice is being made there for his whole clan. If he says, very well, then your servant is safe. If he loses his temper, you can be sure that he is determined to harm me. So this excuse is otherwise known as the family emergency excuse. Nope, just me that's used that then. Okay, sorry. Um, Every time someone uses that excuse on you now, you'll be thinking, well, either they really don't want to see me, or they're a bit afraid I might kill them. Jonathan then agrees to David's request and um, in return asks David to promise that he will show him unfailing kindness. Like that of the Lord, so Jonathan will not be killed. I don't know about you, but I'm pleased my friendships do not have to grapple with these sorts of issues. Yeah, I'll do that for you, just promise you won't kill me. Um, I quite, feel quite fortunate, frankly. Okay, so moving on to verses 16 and 17. And this is where, where the covenant again takes place. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, May the Lord call David's enemies to account. And Jonathan had David reaffirm his oath out of love for him, because he loved him as himself. At this point in the story, we see David turning to Jonathan for help. After some explanation, Jonathan sees that David's life is under threat, and sees that God's calling over his life is under threat. And he agrees to do something very risky as we see that Saul ultimately gets very cross with Jonathan and ends up throwing a spear at him to try and kill him. But what God has called you to do is so important that you need these covenant relationships in your life to protect you in those times. When that calling is threatened, you need those people you can go to and ask them to fight for your calling and your dreams for you. And it appears to me, at least to an extent, that a covenant relationship is built on the recognition and protection of God's calling in someone else's life. Now, this week, our wife Claire has been extraordinarily wonderful to me. More wonderful than normal. On Sunday night, I said to her that I was feeling very worried about preaching today and that I didn't feel I had anything to say, I didn't feel I had enough time to prepare, and I was feeling quite stressed about it. And she's worked very hard this week to free up as much of my time as she can to allow me the time to prepare. And I cannot tell you how much of a difference that made. She also, every time I said, I've got nothing to say, nothing to say, I'm panicked, stressed, nothing. She's been so encouraging to me. Um, She told me that I would be doing the church a disservice by not preaching. And she said that to me every time I said I felt I had nothing to say. And it was really encouraging. And it's the reason I'm here this morning. So, thank you, love. A good friend of mine, Paul Bungay, did the same for me a few weeks back. Um, again, at the same point, I was just feeling like I had absolutely nothing to say, nothing to preach on, had no idea. And I called Paul up to ask him about something else. Um, but then, I, when I was talking to him, I, I opened up and I said, I'm, I'm panicked, I'm freaked out, I've got nothing And um, I said, I'm I'm considering calling up Dave Webster and just telling him I can't do it. Can't do it. Won't do it. You can't make me. It's not going (laughs) to (laughs) happen. But when he heard that, Paul was so very encouraging that when I got off the phone to him, I was ready to preach there and then. And um, I really needed that at that time. And again, you're part of the reason I'm here this morning as well. So thank you for that. But these are just some small examples of things that you can do when somebody comes to you and says, the things that God has called me to do are under threat. I need you and I need you to step up and help me. And that's why covenant relationships are so important. They don't have to be massive things. Just freeing up somebody's time and giving them a word of encouragement can make all the difference. Okay, so that's the second of the three covenants that they make. Let's turn now to 1 Samuel 23, and we're looking at verses 15 and 18. Again, I shall read this out to you. While David was at Horesh, in the desert of Ziph, he learned that Saul had come out to take his life. And Saul's son, Jonathan, went to David at Horesh and helped him find strength in God. Don't be afraid, he said. My father Saul will not lay a hand on you. You will be king over Israel, and I will be second to you. Even my father knows this. The two of them made a covenant before the Lord. Then Jonathan went home, but David remained at Horesh. So here, rather than David seeking Jonathan out, we see Jonathan seeking David out to protect God's calling and his life. And he does that by strengthening David and the Lord. So how does he go about doing that? Well, he reminds David of the promises spoken over his life. He says, remember that God has called you to be king over this nation. And then he reaffirms his friendship with him. Now, I have friendships like that in this church, and I'm very grateful for them. Akin, I'm sure you know him, will often text me, give me a call just to see how I'm doing. But it won't just be that. It will be the offer of a trip to the pub for a pint and a chat, and to reaffirm our friendship. And it's so key. So here's a challenge for you. Start trying to remember God's promises over the lives of your loved ones. And start trying to think about those and memorise those. So that when you feel prompted uh, by God to tell someone and remind someone of them, you can go and do that. I think it's probably also worth pointing out that Jonathan manages to seek David out when Saul has been failing to do so for ages. So it can't have been very easy at all. Saul fails to find David and Jonathan seeks him out. And so it's a challenge for us to find our friends in these sorts of times. It may not be obvious to many people around, but when you start to get that sense that your friend and that person you have a covenant relationship with needs you to go and find them, then I challenge you to go and do that. So what's not clear from the first two covenants becomes very clear here Jonathan we see Jonathan and um, we see Jonathan saying and, and, and we don't know whether it happened <coughs> before but we, I think we can assume it probably does there's, there's a recognition from Jonathan that keeping his covenant with David and fighting for David's calling means giving up Jonathan's birthright to be king and what an amazing sacrifice that is absolutely incredible And it's that sacrificial love that sets this relationship apart as such a fantastic example of covenant relationship. And I think it's also a glimpse of the way that Jesus loves us. Now, this is the last recorded meeting of of, uh, Jonathan and David. And in total, the Bible's record of their relationship is only a few chapters long. But the effect of their covenant relationship is monumental. And we've seen that Jonathan protects David from being killed a number of times. And when you consider that with the genealogy of Jesus set out in Matthew 1 and see the link between David and Jesus' father Joseph, you really start to get a sense of what covenant relationships can do and what the protection of God's calling on others can achieve. Now, I'm sure God could have achieved Joseph still being alive uh, by another means. But he chooses Jonathan to protect David's life. And Jonathan does that. And it means the protection of, of Jesus' lineage. And that's quite impressive and substantial. I've not particularly planned to have any sort of ministry time after what I speak about this morning. Instead, I'd love it if you took a bit of extra time this morning to build towards some covenant relationships. Now, they don't have to be new relationships, they could just be a relationship that needs a little attention. Um, if you're thinking about using the time to delete some Facebook friends, that's fine too. I'm not suggesting you make massive covenants with people, um, although it may be appropriate to do so. But just that you take a little time to notice somebody's strengths, somebody else's faith, and to find out someone's dream. And then perhaps make a commitment to supporting them in that. So, we'll leave that there. And um, I encourage you to go grab some coffee, cake and covenant. Thanks very much.